ओम तव कथाृतम तप्तजीवन कविभरीत कलमशापहम श्रवणमंगल श्रीमदात भुवि गृणती master with the brahmo devotees so it was an early hour of the morning about 2 or 3 o'clock the room was dark sri ramakrishna was seated on his bed and now and then conversed with the devotees master remember that daya compassion and maya attachment are two different things attachment means the feeling of minus towards one's relatives it is the love one feels for one's parents one's brother one's sister one's wife and children compassion is the love one feels for all beings of the world it is an attitude of equality if you see anywhere an instance of compassion as in vidyasagar know that it is due to the grace of god through compassion one serves all beings maya also comes from god through maya god makes one serve one's relatives but one thing should be remembered maya keeps us in ignorance and entangles us in the world whereas daya makes our hearts pure and gradually unties our bonds so we will find in some other context in the gospel of sri ramakrishna he is indicating that there are two types of maya that maya is something which is of god god is the maya dhish he is the one who is the lord of maya so though maya belongs to him he is not affected by maya but with the maya the world is ensnared and that maya has two aspects in some other context we find he says the two aspects are avidya maya and vidya maya the maya which begets which results in ignorance which binds us more and more in ignorance we get as if spir- spirally we move downwards in the realm of ignorance so that is avidya maya and vidya maya it is still the maya we are still in the bondage but by resorting to that we gradually move spirally upwards so that at last we can come out of the spell of maya so this avidya maya and vidya maya this both are emanating from the divine it is part of the divine 
but one binds us the other helps us to liberate liberates us so avidya maya and vidya maya so here sri ramakrishna is indicating that the so called maya which we have the sense of attachment which we have to our relatives our friends our own close circle that is avidya maya that intensifies our ego keeping us bound in me and mine ahamta and mamata that me is ahankara and mine is mamatva so in this too it keeps us bound it acts as if it intensifies the ego as we will find sri ramakrishna indicates again and again in the gospel that the only factor which has kept us bound is the sense of ego the sense of this limited ego the once we are beyond this ego we get rid of this ego we are liberated so as that uh, sri ramakrishna's uh, nice way of saying it we have repeated so many times when he was asked when shall i be free his answer used to be when i cease to be that i is within the inverted comma that when i the sense of this limited individuality cease to be then you are free so we will find that it's the idea that this is my my house my family my son my daughter my parents so as long as you find that your or our a uh, love attachment is just bound by that it is actually intensifying our sense of limited individuality and that's why sri ramakrishna is saying that it is the cause of bondage and daya which is the compassion for all beings it crosses the boundary of our limited sense of mamatva so that helps in dissolving the ego so that is vidya maya through so the resorting to that gradually we will attain liberation so that's the two things which sri ramakrishna is distinguishing that vidya maya and avidya maya we will find that sri ramakrishna has defined god in such a way that whether we are religious and even if we are religious whatever denominations we may belong to and even if we are not religious if we are atheist then also we will find that the i that the definition of god as has been defined by swami vivekananda cannot be denied by anyone in one very simple sentence he has defined god unselfishness is god can will any religion say that their god is selfish no his compassion is there for all for all beings there is no hierarchy in his love so that's the idea of the god which we find in all the religions that his love his grace is unbounded his unconditional non hierarchical there is no hierarchy in that and even if the one who doesn't believe in any any religion but even an atheist will say we don't believe in any religion but to do good to others yes that we think as an ideal if someone says that i just believe in my own good we find that the society will say they are the most degraded type of humanity even even the atheist the, the person who is an atheist is still regarded 
by all others as a nice person, good person, ideal person, if you find that unselfishness is manifested through his character. He doesn't believe in God, but he's unselfish. He's always ready to help others. There we find the ideal of humanity is being exemplified. And that ideal of unselfishness is God, what has been defined by Swami Vivekananda. What a wise definition. The more we get rid of our ego, the more we get established in the idea of our individuality, which speaks of only one existence, the one existence which is the only reality of which we are, we may at the most say we are a part, or even if in Advaitic sense we are just identified with it, but we ultimately we are that non-individual individual consciousness of which we all are just the projection. If that's the thing which we believe, then the selfishness is to bound to fall off. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, that ego is just like the pot. There's only one undivided consciousness. It's just like the ocean, unbound ocean. And in an unbound ocean, the moment I immerse a pot, the sum, a little, a very small quantity of that ocean water will enter into that pot. And now I say, this is the water of the pot. It's the same ocean water. Not only that, because of the wall of the pot, the barrier, we'll find that the disturbance, that the turmoil, the waves of the ocean is in no way affecting the water inside because that barrier is there. The more that barrier falls off, we will find that the water inside is being affected by the water outside. So what it speaks of? Empathy. The more our ego is crystallized, we will find that we are lesser and lesser empathetic. We don't feel for others. The more the ego is crystallized. All our so-called uh, showing of sympathy becomes a duty. It doesn't come out from the heart. Because the more the ego is crystallized, you will find that in small children, where the ego is yet to be crystallized, their, their so-called sense of identity is diffused. They cannot identify themselves just with the body-mind complex. It takes time when the child is growing. Its consciousness is diffused. You will find that emotion is also very much uh, as if filtering out from their body-mind complex. It is intermingling with everything. If they see someone getting affected, if the mother uh, just uh, feigns to be a bit depressed, feigns to be a bit, uh, uh, what is it, having this, some sorrow, is miserable, and he just, she just feigns, and you will find the child is affected, the child starts crying. If the children are playing together, one falls and just starts crying, the others all tend to get affected by it. They also start crying. So what it speaks of, the lesser is our ego, the more we relate with others. So you'll find that wherever the ego boundaries are less, you can easily relate to others. There are so many incidences when in the hostel, I still remember, that one of the uh, students, while playing, has, had, was injured very badly. He had a fracture 
in his leg. And uh, his parents from Northeast India, the school was in Bihar in those days. And from Northeast India, it was a residential school. So the students from all over India used to be admitted there. They used to study there. And this, 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 this student whose leg was fractured, badly fractured, his mother immediately, that's the time when the phone call came. And she was asking that, how is my son? Now the, son, the student has fallen down and got injured. He was taken to the, the hospital, residential school hospital. But yet the authority was not aware what has happened. The news was yet to come to them. So the one who picked up the phone was, was totally ignorant about the fact that this student has got some injury. So the mother called and told that I'm feeling that my son has, uh, is not keeping well. Something has happened. And this the one who was uh, receiving the phone, he almost scolded. That just because you have some assumptions, you phone and just uh, will be disturbing that way. And after just another half an hour, the news came to him and the, the one, the authority was surprised that such a link. And then, of course, again, he called back and gave the news and he was, was a bit, uh, that way, he just repented for the way he has behaved with her over the phone. What it speaks of, that whenever the love is there, our ego starts dissolving, this ego barrier falls off. We start thinking more of the other person. And then you will find that there is actually one consciousness. Somehow we relate. There are many such instances. Somehow we relate. And that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is also indicating. The more our ego barriers fall off, the mamatva, and the more uh, we become spiritual, the more our heart becomes compassionate. It becomes full of empathy. There's a nice incident in the life of Swami Vivekananda. When Swami Vivekananda was a wandering monk, he was traveling all around India. He was uh, yet to go to the West. And uh, just by chance, uh, another direct disciple, he came, he just inter he came, he met another direct disciple, Swami Turiyananda. He was also uh, just wandering around India about the other many places of India. And Swami Vivekananda was also wandering and Chance brought them together. And now the Hari Maharaj, Swami Turiyananda, as he was meeting his brother monk after a long time, Swami Vivekananda after a long time. So Swami Turiyananda asked that how your spiritual progress is going, is how are, how are you progressing in your spirituality? And the answer of Swami Vivekananda is wonderful. What he told is interesting that, oh Hari Bhai, that Turiyananda's name, uh, the Nickname was Hari. So, oh Hari Bhai, I do not understand anything of your spirituality. But one thing I understand, that my heart has really started growing. It has started feeling for everyone. That in this world, for each and every being, this heart feels. It has actually uh, has started growing as if. It feels for all. So, and that's the sign of spirituality. The more our ego dissolves, the more we start feeling others for others. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating as Daya. Maya is just that tribal mentality, the feeling the love only for the tribe, for my own people, 
and daya is something which speaks of compassion for all. So even in the name of religion, you will find that that old remnant of our regressed evolution, the revolution, the evolution, if we have regressed back, that tribal mentality is something which is in our genes. Because when we were evolving, the tribe was something which used to give us strength, protect us. And that tribal mentality is still there as a, as a living fossil in all the religions. Uh, you'll find there's a living fossil in all the religions, the tribal, the religions have some the tribal element. And the more the tribal element is there, the more you know it is Maya, it is no more Daya. Only my, those who belong to my faith, I have love for them. Beyond that, I'm even ready to cut his throat. What type of religion it is? So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. Daya is the thing which is love for all. It goes beyond all the barriers. So even in the life of Holy Mother, that unbound life, love which we find, that's a, character, that's a wonderful spiritual characteristic. That for a mother to love his children, there is no credit for it. Even the animals does it. To go beyond your biological relation, to love all, to have that motherly feeling for all, that spirituality. That Holy Mother was never a biological mother. She never gave birth to any ch children as a biological. She was never, a, but she had that motherly feeling, universal mother feeling for all. And that speaks of that spirituality. And that's being indicated by Sri Ramakrishna here. God cannot be realized without purity of heart. One receives the grace of God by subduing the passions, lust, anger, and greed. Then one sees God. I tried many things in order to conquer lust. So this is another very important thing that we find even in the Bible. That's one of that you know the Beatitudes. What is that? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When Swami Vivekananda in the West was delivering lecture, so he used to quote this line of Jesus, the one of these Beatitudes. He used to quote and say that if all the religion is uh, gets uh, what is extinct it becomes extinct and again the new uh, with uh, what you say uh, the uh, a new civilization develops with that the religion starts developing and you will find if only one sentence this one sentence somehow remains that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god that one sentence is enough for all the religions again to come again to evolve. So because that's the basic thing of religion. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is also negating. God cannot be realized without purity of heart. One receives the grace of God by subduing the passions, lust, anger, and greed. It is not that God's love is conditional. That first you subdue your passions, lust, anger, greed, and then God will be pleased with you. God's grace is always there. The passions, the last anger and greed are something with which we are holding onto this tree called life. This samsara is like a tree. We are holding onto the branches of this tree. Just to fall from a tree, there is no need for any effort. You need not have to give any effort. You just leave the hold and the gravity pulls you down. 
There's no need for any effort to fall from the tree. You just leave the hole. Just to let go is necessary. So in spiritual life also, we never attain God. We can never attain God. We just have to let go. The grace is always, the wind of grace is always blowing. It is always pulling us to our divine nature, to our spiritual nature. But why we are not carried by that grace? Because we are holding onto this uh, tree of samsara, the branches of samsara. How we are holding? This lust, anger, greed. These are the things which is constantly uh, forcing us to hold onto this branch of the tree. If we can get rid of them, the lust, anger, greed, that let go ensues, the grace which is always there, it starts working on us. Just the way to fall, you have no need, there is no need for effort. Here also there is no need for any effort. The moment we can get rid of the hold of this tree of samsara, by getting rid of lust, anger and greed, God's grace is, the plan of the universe is such, the grace will take us to our uh, divine identity, will make us identified with our divine identity. We will be in communion with the divine. So that's Sri Ramakrishna's indicating, that one receives the grace of God. The grace is always there. When, when he receives it, when it really starts acting on it, by subduing the passions, lust, anger, greed, that results in that let go. And then the grace can act on you. Then one sees God. I tried many things in order to conquer lust. To fall, that's the thing. When I was 10 or 11 years old and lived at Kamarpukur, I first experienced Samadhi. As I was passing through a paddy field, I saw something and was overwhelmed. There are certain characteristics of God vision. One sees light, feels joy and experiences the upsurge of a great current in one's chest like the bursting of a rocket. So when the mind is pure, so this, this joy is something which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of, is already there. This joy is not something which we are cultivating. The essence of our being is Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa. It is Sat Swarupa, Chit Swarupa, Ananda Swarupa. What it means? The core of our being which is divine is Sat Swarupa. The word Sat in Sanskrit means that which is always existing without any transformation in the past, in the present, in the future. It continues to exist without any transformation as the Purana Purusha, Pura Apinavaiva, ever aging, never old. Just in the eternal present, it exists. That is Sat. So am I Sat? I may feel that I am a reality. But how can you be reality? Just like any other projection, I also, as a psychophysical entity, I started existing at certain point of time. Constantly I am going through certain sort of changes. Shada Vikara, the six changes. Jayate, Asti, Vardhate, Viparinamate, Apakshyate. Nasti. We are born, we exist, we st start growing for some for the, in our childhood days, and then the middle age comes, and then the decay process starts, and at last death is there. So this, we are constantly going through the changes until we cease to exist as a psychophysical existence.
So it's just like any projection. When through a projector I'm projecting something on the screen, I don't feel it is real because I know it is there for just for some time. As long as the projection is there, it is there. The moment the projection is not, it's not there. So we also like projections that way. Anything which is flow is like projection. Is there something which is eternal, which is behind this projection, something is eternal, that the scripture is asserting? Yes, the essence of your being is Sat. It is always there. It was, it is, it will be. It is a Trikal Avadhita Satya. The truth which is Trikal Avadhita means Avadhita means uninterrupted. Trikal means three phases of time. The, who, the one whose existence is never restricted by any phase of time, past, present and future. That is Sat. So now, with our scientific knowledge, the shallow scientific knowledge, we may feel, yeah, it's correct. Even in our uh, school, the primary education, from our primary school only we have learned, even in the so-called uh, secondary education, that the, in, this, in this world nothing is destroyed. Matter and energy is interconvertible. If not as matter, as energy we exist, but after all it is inert. Whether it is energy or matter, it is inert. So that Sat, so we will say, when you say that the, the essence is Sat, we will say, yeah, at last, everything is matter or energy which cannot be destroyed. And somehow they have conglomerated, accidentally to have created this life on earth, which is this life, which is consciousness. This consciousness is a byproduct of the conglomeration of matter. That's what even now, the science generally will is constantly trying to do that. They just trying to prove that, though they haven't proven till now. But they're trying, constantly they're trying to prove that. All this artificial intelligence, everything, all the research behind that, that's the main concept, that somehow we can generate consciousness. So here again Vedanta is asserting, no, the ultimate reality, which is Satswarup, is not something inert, is not something which is jada, it is chit, consciousness. It is a consciousness which is being projected as this universe. The so-called, all this, the phenomenal existence, the matter, is actually nothing. It is consciousness. What the word nothing means? No thing. It is not a thing, but it is consciousness. So nothing means no thing, but doesn't mean void. It is no thing. It is not a matter, but it is consciousness. The consciousness is appearing as this world of some tangible reality. They say that uh, science generally tend to say that consciousness is an epiphenomenon. That world is a phenomenon. It's something real. It exists. And consciousness is an epiphenomenon. It's a product of that. But Vedanta says, no, it's just the opposite. Consciousness is the only phenomenon. In the world, whatever you see is the epiphenomenon. So the Sat Swarupata, which is the core of your existence, is again Chit. It is consciousness. And then that consciousness again is Ananda Swarupa. That now, even uh, somehow, we may get convinced that, yeah, okay, I am Sat Swarup, I am Chit Swarup. And then I may feel dejected that by being conscious about my existence, it's full of uh, sorrow. 
there is sometimes just uh, the happiness will be there just for a moment and again we will be in a dejection we will be in a monoton monotonous state and we are as if in this flux sometimes like we are in the crest of the wave we are happy and again we are dejected this flow goes on so vedanta says no that this duality is as long as we are identified with the body mind complex beyond that when i am established with myself it is just that tranquility that bliss which is beyond the duality of joy and sorrow ananda swarupata so that is something the core of my being so why don't we realize that because our mind is constantly polluted by the desires by all this strives tensions turmoils all the constantly it's going on so our mind is constantly full of all those desires samskaras in the form of waves as long as the waves are in their mind you uh, what happens this ananda swarupata the bliss factor that gets filtered it's a very selective filtration i am always aware of my existence that i know i am sat swarupata chit swarupata that i know i am i exist and i am aware of my existence so sat swarupata chit swarupata this too never gets obscured even if our mind is in turmoil i am always aware that i am what gets obscured is that ananda swarupata so whenever our desire is fulfilled we feel happy why we feel happy because the moment the desire is fulfilled the mind is desireless that time some desire was constantly tormenting me the moment i get the object of my desire it is desireless for the time being the mind is calm and the ananda swarupata which is the core of our existence that's finds expression now if someone through spiritual practice have attained that state where the mind is always pure nothing is going to obscure that ananda swarupata that is something which starts overwhelming his personality and that's the thing which we find sri ramakrishna is indicating once his light feels joy and experience the upsurge of a great current in one's chest like the bursting of a rocket so when we can cleanse our heart that happiness is something which can never be compared with any happiness available in this world so that's why sri ramakrishna used to say that this is the the joy even in our uh, taittiriya upanishad that there is a chapter on this happiness and there also they say this ultimately the self if you can get identified with yourself the happiness that you can attain cannot be compared with any happiness so why because that's the source of happiness all other happiness is just a speck of it so as a 11 year boy sri ramakrishna that from birth he was of that pure the purity was something which was in his inherent nature so for the more we are pure the more we are at the present moment so what actually doesn't allow us as sri ramakrishna was mendicating he was passing through the paddy field and he saw something that is is not mentioning here but we know in some other context as we mentioned that there were dark clouds in the sky and against that on the background of the dark cloud suddenly some white cranes start this visible were flying across it 
and seeing that seeing that scenery that contrast of that white trains on the background of the dark clouds suddenly he lost his consciousness he was overwhelmed why it doesn't happen to us why it happens to sri ramakrishna because even in buddhism they will say that to be at present that we are never at present when we are walking down the street something really wonderful scenery is there but my mind is noisy it is thinking of something which has happened in the past or it is uh, it is just imagining something which is going to happen in the future and its mind is full of noise it can never stay in the present the more our mind is pure the more the noise factor is not there the more we are in the present nothing is going to disturb and then that wonderful the scenery and everything can be overwhelming and that speaks of the purity the more we can be at the present the more we are pure and the more this type of experiences are can something which we can also experience in our life that's why we go for excursion and all even after going for to excursion why we go that we are so much uh, tied down by our day to day activities weighed down by that i want to get relieved and if we can really forget about it with free mind if i go then only i enjoy if even after going for some trip that all the things which weighs me down in my in my job in my family if still i am contemplating on them i can never enjoy i can only enjoy which if i can keep it if i can somehow leave them when i leave my home i leave all those joys and uh, all those worries uh, at home and then with free mind i can go then only we can enjoy so this speaks of the purity the more we are pure the more the mind can get absorbed in the present and that can be a very very overwhelming experience and that's what sri ramakrishna is saying so that's the the mind when the mind is pure the lake of the mind becomes easily calm and the ananda swarupata is something which is no more filtered out that's the thing which uh, it can be become something palpably visible it something wells up and that's the spiritual experience which sri ramakrishna is speaking of that one sees light feels joy and experiences the upsurge of the great current in one's chest like the bursting of a rocket the next day baburam and ramdayal returned to calcutta aim spent the day and the night with the master december 1882 it was afternoon the master was sitting in his room at dakshineshwar with m and one or two other devotees several marwari devotees arrived and saluted the master they requested sri ramakrishna to give them spiritual instruction he smiled master to the marwari devotees you see the filling of i and mine is the result of ignorance but to say o god thou art the doer and all this belong to thee is a sign of knowledge how can you say such a thing as mine so this idea of mine the idea of doer and enjoyer this is the product of ignorance so that's the thing which we find even in the bhagavad gita that's the thing is mentioned this prakriti it is only the nature which is working giving me a sense of uh, that 
ego but behind that actually the ego uh, there is nothing called me it is just the nature as we have spoken of so many times that the we have innumerable mental modules and each mental module has a fixed stimuli response conditioning as per the environment as per the circumstance in which we are a particular module gets uh, activated all other dormant and the module which gets activated as per the circumstances that has a fixed stimuli response conditioning and you will respond to the stimuli in a fixed way but somehow the mind will be fooling us that it is i who have taken the decision so this is the idea which we find even in the bhagavad gita this prakrite kriyamanani gunai karmani sarvasha ahankara vimuratma kartaham iti manyate it is the nature which is working the guna is interacting with the gunas the guna as a sense organ is interacting with the guna as a sense objects and they are having their own stimulus response conditioning but the one who is vimura deluded by the idea of notion of the doer of the notion of i ahankara he thinks himself as a karta so this both the this your uh, even in this uh, bhagavad gita they say but we need not think that the ignorance is something which is apart from the divine the both the para prakriti and the apara prakriti both are uh, what you say has emanated from the lord both the lord is beyond them so dwavimau purushau loke kshara's chakshara evacha kshara and akshara so this kshara is the thing which is constantly in in a state of flow is changing ikshara and akshara is that is indestructible that is a kutastha which is the core of your being kshara sarvani bhutani the entire existent kshara it is decaying kutastho akshara uchyate the one who is at the core of your being he is the akshara that which never decays it is as it is and beyond this both the kshara and akshara is the purushottama this uttama purushastvanya this in the 15th chapter paramatmi paramatmi udarita yah lokatrayam avishya vibhartyam avyaya ishvara so the one who is beyond the kshara and akshara beyond the para and the apara prakriti is the purushottama so so to knowing that now that then generally the question is if i am uh, as the core of my being which is consciousness that is not the doer and uh, this uh, the inert prakriti is not the doer it is just happening as per the fixed stimulus response conditioning then who is the one who is doing it is the one who is beyond the akshara and akshara this is the idea in bhagavad gita it's a wonderful idea this uniqueness and the, uh, through which bhagavad gita has actually synthesized the sankhya and the vedanta philosophy is the idea of this purushottama through which in sankhya philosophy there is the the uh, idea of this duality there is the prakriti and there are innumerable purushas the purusha is something which is inert not inert is not doing anything it is just the witness it is a consciousness but it is just the witness it is not doing anything and as long as it is witness in its association prakriti becomes activated prakriti by itself is jada 
it gets activated by being in association with the consciousness. So now the question is that the question of the, who is the karta? No one is the karta. We find even in Buddhism there's the idea they say there is no one is the karta, and this anomaly is resorted in Bhagavad Gita by the idea of the Purushottama, that the one who is beyond ikshara and akshara. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the snake which is lying idle, coiled up, is also the same snake, and the snake which is moving is also the snake. It is the uh, this someone, some a sense of agency is there beyond the so-called psychophysical existence. When it is just lying coiled, it appears to be inert, but it has the potentiality to express that shakti, the emotion. So the one who is beyond this, beyond this uh, immobility as the mobility, is the one, is the Purusha. So the God is the doer. That is Sri Ramakrishna's indicator. Thou art the doer. All this belong to thee is a sign of knowledge. How can you say such a thing as mine? Nothing is mine. And then the example he's giving. The superintendent of the garden says, this is my garden. But if he is dismissed because of some misconduct, then he does not have the courage to take away even such a worthless thing as his mango wood box. So some chest he had, some small box he had. Even to take away, he doesn't have the courage. So what actually Sri Ramakrishna is indicating? That when he is dismissed, that he says it is mine, but when he is dismissed, he cannot take even a single thing. So what is the idea of this? What is, what is uh, this uh, dismiss means? It means our death. Nothing else. In this life, so uh, we think, this is my house, my family, uh, my job, my wealth, everything mine. But when the death comes, then I have no capacity to take anything with me. So that's the idea. The superintendent of the garden says, this is my garden. But if he is dismissed because of some misconduct, then he does not have the courage to take away even such a worthless thing as his mango wood box. Anger and lust cannot be destroyed. Turn them toward God. If you must feel desire and temptation, then desire to realize God. Feel tempted by Him. Discriminate and turn the passions away from worldly objects. So, as long as we have the sense of ego, this, all these Shararipu are going to be six uh, enemies are going to be there with us. This anger, lust also are a part, this, this a part of the Shararipu. This, these are almost impossible to, to get rid of as long as the ego is there. They are with us. So what's the way out instead of trying to subjugate them? Turn, turn it towards God. If you feel desire and temptation, then desire to realize God. But if you have that desire, that turn the desire towards God. Feel tempted by Him. Discriminate and turn the passions away from worldly objects. If you have to be angry, be angry with the so-called passions, worldly objects. Ishwari Anurag, Vishoy Virag. Love towards God and dispassion towards all the worldly objects. That's how we can channelize our lust and anger. So this lust and anger is like a force, tremendous force. So in the 
olden days, previous, even now it's there, that to uh, control the flow of the river, we used to construct dram. And then there is a heavy rain. Then at last we have to open the check gates or the dram will just simply, uh, they will crack and there is going to be a flood. And now we find that most of the floods are because of those dams. So uh, the, all the dams which we find have most have been constructed some 50, 60 years back. Nowadays, the, this dam is discouraged. Then what's the way they can uh, control the overflow of water because of torrential rain? That instead of constructing dam, they will be irrigating some channels. They will, they will be uh, digging some channels Canals. Those canals will be taken, will be channelized to the places where there is no rain. Like in India, from the Ganges, there are many canals which has been taken towards the arid, the dry arid area of Rajasthan. So, when there is a heavy torrential rain, instead of trying to uh, restrict it with a dam, it is channelized to the area which doesn't get rain. So, so that way, that land becomes fertile. So in, in our personality also, uh, this anger and lust is like a tremendous flow. If you try to subjugate it by constructing a dram, know it for certain, to certain extent you will be able to control them. But a time will come even we don't have the capacity to control them. There will be, will, it will be burst, there will be, will be just bursting out. There will be a, <coughs> a tremendous outrage of anger and lust within us uh, which can even destroy, disintegrate our personality. So what's the way out? Sublimate those emotions. Channelize them. That create some, if you have to have this love, love for God. Try to have, uh, develop some love for some sublime things. Hatred for something which is bad. And that's how the same emotions, instead of subjugating, you are sublimating them by channelizing them in some uh, uh, what you say in some uh, in some direction where it at present it is not irrigated like the love for god these are there it is there within our psyche if we, if we culture it can be developed but we have never directed our passions towards that so instead of subjugating we have to sublimate them by channelizing all our passions towards that <coughs> that's the thing which ramakrishna is indicating anger and lust cannot be destroyed turn them toward god if you must feel desire and temptation, then desire to realize God. Feel tempted by Him. Discriminate and turn the passions away from worldly objects. When the elephant is about to devour a plantain tree in someone's garden, the mahout strikes it with his iron-tipped gourd. So all our passions and everything are something which, like the mad elephant, will be directing us to the censored pleasures of life. But if we keep the God as the guiding force, God as our Mahut, He is there always in the form of our conscience to direct us in the way of life. That as the, just the Mahut, the way it strikes with an iron tipped goad to the elephant, whenever it is going to uh, feed on the vegetations of other people, the prop, the prop, others' property, it will be just striking it with that iron tipped goat and that's how he controls the elephant. Similarly, that the more we become this 
divine centric the more we become god oriented the more we have the what is it our life aligned to the spiritual core of our being the more we will find our conscience is always awake it will be always awake it like that mahut it will be guiding us in this uh, path of life so that's what sri ramakrishna is indicating with the elephant so if you once uh, develop the passion for love for god and dispassion for uh, the worldly objects the more you know, the god consciousness uh, is something which is awake in you it starts acting like as a as a mahut uh, to give a very common example that you know most of us in our life that we all have conscience but our conscience is something which is authoritarian that as a small child for something our parents praised us oh this is good and for something we were scolded we were censored and that became internalized in our childhood our teacher our parents whatever things they told is good or is bad that got internalized and that became our conscience so it is based on some authority that authority may not be there but it has got internalized so that is authoritarian conscience but sometimes uh, it doesn't work at all in any wherever there is a riot you will find there's immediately after the riot all the shops and the minorities the shops of the minorities have been plundered who have plundered the thieves no is a so called gentleman so see just see when the police who keeps us moral the police when because of riot or some social disruption the uh, so called the legal system the police force has uh, has got disrupted for some time and we take the full advantage the so called civilized society will find is plundering there are so many instances what it shows the authoritarian conscience whenever is no one is looking at us it doesn't work but there is another conscience which is that god oriented conscience the divine centric conscience in the life of swami vivekananda as a young boy as a bile we will find that narendranath as a small boy was extremely mischievous that no scolding was of evil this mother is to scold the sisters will scold and he will be just uh, going on doing all sorts of mischievous thing nothing could because his conscience was not based on authority somehow it was having tremendous force that life force within him but there was some sanskar with which he was born that's why we find when he is doing all sorts of mischief nothing can stop him the mother says oh you are the demon of shiva most probably you were the you were with shiva demon of shiva and as you did some misdeed that's why shiva has uh, thrown you that's why you have taken birth so this idea was something ingrained in his mind so when the mother found that in there's no way to control him at last somehow he will get hold of naren and pour water in his head chanting the name of shiva just shiva 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 and he will cool down so that's the god oriented consciousness somehow that feeling was there that if i you if you read the life of swami vivekananda these ideas are wonderful as a small child immediately that fear used to come oh as my mother says that somehow has been thrown by shiva and that's why i am here and if i continue to do mischief i won't i cannot go back so the moment the mother will pour water and chant shiva shiva immediately he is to become calm so that's the 
God oriented consciousness. If somehow that type of conscience we develop, nothing can lure us in this life. The authoritarian conscience with which most of us has, that doesn't work. But if we can develop that God oriented conscience that Viveka established in that idea of the divinity, that if I am doing something wrong, it is not just the society which is going to punish me. If I have that idea, when the society is not going to punish me because it is not looking at me or there is a temporary disruption in its total structure, I tend to do all sorts of uh, uh, illegal things, all sorts of wrong things I tend to do. But if I have the idea that I, my origin is the divine, this process of transmigration I'm going through is because of all my sensate attachments to this life. If I don't, cannot get rid of it, I will never get identified with my divine identity. If that's the basis of our conscience, nothing can, nothing can deviate us from our right path. So that divine consciousness is the mahut. So that's that that we have to, that's why that the mahut we have to keep as, the God has to be our mahut. Then only that conscience can work and that alone can restrict us from all wrongdoings. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that when the elephant is about to devour a plantain tree in someone's garden, the mahut, that's the God-oriented consciousness, uh, conscience, God-oriented conscience, that's the mahut, that it strikes with his iron-tipped goat. You are merchants. So why he's saying all those things? Now we'll find that the Marwari devotees came and we know that when business people do resort to some sort of uh, untruthfulness, wrongdoing. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. You are merchants. You know how to improve your business gradually. Some of you start with a castor oil factory. After making some money at that, you open a cloth shop. In the same way, one makes progress towards God. It may be that you go into solitude now and then and devote more time to prayer. Here he's saying something good, but yeah, the idea that uh, we shouldn't resort to wrongdoing that he will be uh, mentioning in the next paragraph. So here he's saying something that, and he's using an allegory uh, with which we have to progress in spiritual life. In spiritual life, what happens that the moment we resort to some sort of spiritual life, that a little spiritual, a little religion helps us in a great way. How it helps us? If a person without religion uh, has nothing to integrate himself, sometimes we find, gets easily lured by so many things. But with the help of religion, you are regimenting your mind. But with the, all the do's and don'ts, you have your everyday regular practices. The mind needs something to hold on. If you are not holding on to something which is sublime, it will hold on to something which is gross. So in the uh, very preliminary level, the religion, how it helps? Dharyateti dharma. That to hold on to something which will integrate us. And we get satisfied with that. Yes, a little meditation, little prayer, going to the temple, uh, and just binding us with all those things helps me to integrate my life. I find behind beyond that, if those things are not that, my mind gets easily distracted. So I keep myself integrated to a certain extent with all those things. And that becomes the be all and end all of my religion. That I am regimenting myself. But Sri Ramakrishna is saying that 
the real purpose of religion is to realize the divine core which is within you so that you can go beyond the process of this transmigration you can develop the tremendous love for god that is something which is the be all and end all of our human birth as a human being we have that uniqueness so you shouldn't be satisfied with something which is good that just to have an integrated life is good but religion is not only meant for that have that yearning aspiration to develop spirituality to evolve spiritually in such to such an extent that you go beyond this process of transmigration you again become identified with your spiritual uh, identity so that's why he's saying you are merchants you know how to improve your business gradually some of you start with a castor oil factory after making some money at that you open a cloth shop so what you are gradually progressing you are not just satisfied with that castor oil factory now you open a cloth shop in the same way one make progress toward god it may be that you go into solitude now and then now this marwari is where devotees but he found that he what he was saying that their religion was something just to integrate them nothing beyond that for most of us it's that so that's why he's saying that go into solitude now and then devote more time to prayer so that earnestness is there to go beyond this process of transmigration to go beyond this process of transmigration to enjoy the communion with the divine so that's the idea go forward charai veti charai veti in some other context ramakrishna used to say a nice story and that a woodcutter a poor woodcutter every day used to go to the forest to just cut the firewood and those firewood he used to sell in the market and that's how he used to uh, make his living he has to sustain himself and one day when he was cutting wood one brahmachari from the depth of the forest was came out and he was just passing by that woodcutter and he told that woodcutter that why don't you go forward just go forward just don't stop in this just the uh, this uh, this out outward uh, fringes of this forest go deeper into it so the, after saying this the brahmachari left so after a few days this woodcutter thought that why this brahmachari told me to go to the deeper uh, uh, layers of the forest why i just always am in the outer fringe so he thought let me just listen and he went bit deep into the forest and then he was amazed he found there were a lot of sandalwood trees and then by selling the sandalwood he became rich and then after a few years he thought brahmachari never told me to stop he told me to go forward so why not go still deeper into the forest as he went still deeper he found silver mines then gold mines and then uh, at last he found the diamonds and he became extremely rich so what's the idea the never be satisfied that move on charai veti charai veti that's the idea that in a spiritual quest don't get don't take the guide posts to be the final milestones to be the final goal they're just the milestones they're just the milestones there is something still ahead of it that until you go have the spiritual realization don't stop so that's the idea which sri ramakrishna is trying to implant in the hearts of this marwari merchants but you must remember that nothing can be achieved except in its proper time 
Some persons must pass through many experiences and perform many worldly duties before they can turn their attention to God. So they have to wait a long time. Actually, that's the thing with most of us that we say that how that, that we are going through this process of transmigration. The basic idea that of this evolution which we speak of, which is in biology, which uh, uh, even in Vedanta, uh, we agree to it. That we don't believe in design, that God has created human being just uh, directly. As in Abrahamic religion, the idea of design is there. In Vedanta, that idea of design is not there. There's the idea of evolution, that we have evolved. That why that evolution happened? That the idea is somehow the consciousness got associated with the body-mind complex and seeing its reflection in the body-mind complex, it got deluded. It took, the, it took the reflection to be real. It took the ego to be the real. That the idea that when I'm shouting my own name standing in front of a mountain, my name is echoed back from the mountain, making me feel someone is calling me from the mountain. The same thing is happening. The conscious principle behind our body-mind complex is constantly saying, you're eternal, you're ever fulfilled. And that is reflected from the body-mind complex. As if the body-mind complex saying, I am eternal, I am ever fulfilled. And now being confused by taking the body-mind consciousness to be his reality, he tries to realize that eternity, that fulfillment through that body-mind complex and that results in the evolution. We are in this constant, we are in that HECO, that's a single cellular organism. It finds that a little stimuli, change of stimuli is going to kill it. But something is saying that you are eternal. And so it tries to realize that eternity through that body and that's how the evolution process is going on. It starts conglomerating, a few cells starts conglomerating to fight with nature in a better way. Let us uh, now have division of labor. Previously, as a single cellular organism, the single cell was doing everything. Now there's a division that you do take part of the circulation, you take part of digestion, you take part of assimilation, you take part of sending information as the nervous current, as the nerves. So at last we find this complex structure as a human being, which is made of trillions, billions and trillions of cells. Each cell is a life, but now this all conglomerates to form one life. Why we have equipped ourselves through the process of evolution because of that delusion that I have to realize the eternity. Someone behind me is saying you're eternal. That I have to realize through this body-mind complex. And as a human being, at last, through all these experiences, as a human being, we have that faculty to realize at last that I'm already eternal. Somehow I was deluded by hearing the echo which is coming from the body-mind complex. I took the echo to be real. I took the reflection to be real and I was aimless, I was uh, vainly trying to realize that eternity and fulfillment through that body-mind complex, which is never possible because it is a flow. However I may try, it is never possible. But I'm already that. If I am just not deluded by the ego, I'm already that. And then the question of detachment comes, renunciation comes. When you know that you're already that, your attempt to experience the eternity and fulfillment through the body-mind complex is a vain attempt. Then that renunciation comes. 
So now renunciation is not something which is forced that you are not going to renounce. Through this realization, renunciation has to come at a particular time in our process of transmigration in this evolutionary journey. We all have started as this microbe to at last become this human being. Through this entire process of this evolution, we somehow were deluded. When this delusion starts falling off, then that renunciation comes. So it takes a long time. But you must remember that nothing can be achieved except in this proper time. So Sri Ramakrishna jokingly used to say that as a child, the time is very important. When the child, you know, as a small child, every day it wets the wed, bed. And every day the mother says, when will you grow? Yet every day you are just wetting the bed. And the child also feels guilty. The sense of guilt develops oh, every day. And the, one day he says, mother, please wake me up when I have the urge. When I have the urge, please wake me up. And the mother says, the urge itself will wake you up today or tomorrow. It's, it is a matter of time. That's the example Sri Ramakrishna is giving in the gospel. So we cannot force that urge, that, that when the urge comes, I, I cannot see someone to wake me up. The time will come when automatically I will wake up. The urge will make me wake up. So it's a process of evolution. And that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. Some person must pass through many experiences and perform many worldly duties before they can turn their attention to God. So they have to wait a long time. If an abscess is lanced before it is soft, the result is not good. The surgeon makes the opening when it is soft and has come to a head. So that's the example. If there's an, abs an abscess, there's a scab which has grown over the wound and you forcefully remove it. It's not good, it will, you will lacerate. The wound will become still um, more lacerated. Uh, you will be injuring yourself. So you know that when an abscess is ripe enough, you go to the doctor, he says, no, it is not yet ripe. It has the proper time, it is ripe. Then only it will operate on it. And then only he will apply the medication. So that's the thing, everything has its proper time. So if the attachment is too strong, even the guru will say, no, it's not the time for you. So it's not a question of uh, bias, that the guru will be uh, just biased by having more compassion towards someone, not compassion towards other. If he realizes that someone is having very strong attachment, he has to go through the experiences of life to develop some sort of an attachment, then only like a surgeon he can make that opening. He has ripened through the experiences of life and then only that he can come to of any help or avail. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating, that everything has a time. If an abscess is lanced before it is soft, the result is not good. The surgeon makes the opening when it is soft and has come to a head. Once a child, now that example is there, once a child said to its mother, mother, I'm going to sleep now, please wake me up when I feel the call of nature. My child said the mother, when it is time for that, you will wake up yourself. I shan't have to wake you. So, so everything has its proper time. So this, uh, that in Sanskrit we say that the process of education can be uh, um, divided into four parts. What's that? That acharyat padam adhyet, padam shishya samedhaya, padam sabrahmacharibhya, padam kalakramenacha that our entire process of education can be divided into four parts. The first quarter is 
acharyat from your teacher from your parents as a teacher or your school as a teacher whatever they teach they cannot teach us all just one fourth from their instruction comes and then another one fourth from where it comes padam sabram padam sishya samedhaya the students who are hearing now they all are not same way focused their intelligence is not same those who are more intelligent those who are more focused they can gather more knowledge the same teacher is teaching in the class all the students are not uh, learning the same way those who are more focused those who are more intelligent they learn more so another one fourth comes from your from the students intelligence shishya this first is acharya second is shishya acharya padamadhyat padam shishya samedhaya the next one fourth the third third quarter what is that padam sabrahmacharibhya through discussion the peer groups sabrahmacharibhya in the school nowadays you will find previously all the students used to face the teacher when i went to some school here in new south wales uh, there was some class on religion and i was i just i was requested to take a few of those classes and i was surprised because in india i never saw in india it's the students always facing the teacher and here i went and saw it's all round tables the students are all sitting around the table and the teacher they are not facing the teacher they are all facing each other so the idea is that what the teacher is teaching the students have to have peer groups and have some discussion and that clears many doubt so something i have understood well something you have understood well when we discuss then both uh, the understanding of both the students become enriched so that is padam sabrahmacharya through discussions through constant interrogation discussion questioning answering that way another one fourth gets clear the last one fourth is very important that everything in life that way you cannot learn something is needed with proper time with the seasoning of time you learn padam kalakramena cha so it's very important so that's why even uh, when uh, the parents used to come to our schools and say that this child doesn't listen and we used to say don't get fed up it did won't listen but what you have to say you go on saying because what you are saying it cannot simply brush off the child somehow is registering in his mind with the experience of life as he grows up suddenly he will be in certain situation where he has to meet certain situation with certain attitude and then he will find yes my father used to say me this thing my mother used to say me this thing it will work so it takes time it has to be through the experience of li- life you have to learn so many things to get seasoned to understand so many things so this spirituality is also something this which takes time through certain experiences unless and until we have developed to certain extent detachment a liking for this sublime way of life no one can force spirituality on us so that's why he is saying it's matter of time the marwari devotees generally brought offerings of fruit candy and other sweets for the master oh it's already time i haven't seen so but sri ramakrishna could hardly eat them he would say they earn their money by falsehood i can't eat their offering so uh, i will take from this portion again in the uh, next class so with this as a, uh, this chapter a little more portion is remaining so we will be finishing off again in the next class so thank you all namaskars with this we conclude our class today